you're here. Hallelujah. How many remember that song when it was new? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Aaron. You know, today's Easter. We celebrate the resurrection. And uh, Jesus' first words after the resurrection, when, when the two Marys were uh, leaving the tomb after they had encountered uh, the angel there as, as they were walking on the road, Jesus saw them and said, Rejoice! Rejoice! So the first word of the resurrected Lord was to be, be joyful. Be joyful. It, it can be translated to thrive. You know, and the message of the Gospel is good news. It really is. And Jesus proclaimed, you know, be joyful. And we don't really know how Jesus said it. You know, we think, we read that in Scripture, He says, rejoice! <clears throat> but I actually think He was probably leaning against a tree as they were walking down the road. And He was like, hey, rejoice! <laughs> you know, because He just conquered death. He says, it's time to be happy. It's time to be happy, church. Jesus conquered death. Are we happy? I'm happy. And it means, what does it, so what I'm talking about is what does this mean? What does the resurrection, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, what does it mean? He died on the cross. And, I'm, and we understand that, or we believe that, it's central to the faith. But how does it, how does it work? What's the big picture? And Graham McKaig did a fantastic job over the last month uh, retelling or, or uh, taking us through, talking us through the, the story of the Old Testament uh, from the beginning uh, of, of creation. And so uh, what we heard was that you know, God began by creating the heavens and the earth by the very power of His Word and His will all of the universe was created. All of the stars down to the atoms and the molecules. He, he created everything that was and he, and he formed mankind and He made all the animals and plants and, and, and placed mankind in the midst of them and, and told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion. And of course, we know the story that <clears throat> Adam and Eve sinned and fell and there was a separation, there was a breaking, and there was sin that came in and destruction and, and, and the results of that. But the story continues. Even in the, the garden, there was a promise of redemption. And, and then we have all of the stories. And again, Graham did a great job. You can listen to the teachings. He summarizes how the story of God's promise uh, works out throughout all of the centuries in the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, after the, the fall, what happened to mankind, and eventually the, uh, the era of the patriarchs where God called again a single person, uh, Abraham, and, and gave him a promise that through him all of the nations would be blessed. And then we hear the stories of, of his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and, uh, and, and their offspring who ended up in Egypt for 400 years and ended up becoming slaves in that nation. But then another major part of the story was the exodus as God brings them out and takes them out from captivity and 
the whole, you know, Moses and, and the parting of the Red Sea and the Exodus. And, and, and then we hear the story of this nation called Israel that uh, is God's people. And, he, and they wander for a long time and eventually come to uh, the, the promised land and a kingdom is established. <clears throat> and uh, many things happen. Eventually they have a, uh, kings that, that really there was, a, there was a high point of the history under King David and Solomon. But after that, it kind of disintegrates and, and things break up and literally are dismembered. And, and the Old Testament ends uh, with them going off into, into exile again to a land called Babylon and spending many years there, a couple generations. And then God brings them back right at the end. Was the, the final part of the Old Testament story was, was God renewing that promise of establishing uh, this nation is his people, his representative in the earth, because he had something else to do. There was, there was still a promise. The promise remained. And so the Israelites came back, but it wasn't quite the same. The, there was just a, a remnant of them in the temple they rebuilt, but it was nowhere near what the, the temple was in Solomon's time and, and their heyday. But uh, they were there back in the, in the land that God had promised them. And they were a, they, they were a, there was a clear identity. There was a people. And they, then, then there's silence. And there's 400 years of silence. And what I mean by silence is that God just kind of like paused. There was no major move of God. There was no prophet that came on the land. They just lived for 400 years, usually under the dominion of one large kingdom or another for all this time. And I think that that 400-year pause was intentional. It had a purpose. It was intended. And it was a, there was a silence in the spiritual realm. It was almost like the calm before the storm. They were there. It was positioned. God had gotten everything in line. And then they waited. To bring emphasis, really, it was the pause before the storm because out of that silence bursts Jesus Christ. And He comes onto the scene. And, and let me read it, uh, the story uh, from the New Testament. John chapter 1, uh, verse 1. If you turn there or, or look at it, they'll probably have it up on the screen. Oh, I have it right here. <laughs> Think of it. For 400 years, nothing had happened. Um, that would be like us thinking back to when the King James Bible was first uh, release. It was 400 years ago this year that the King James... How much do we have in, in common with people that lived 400 years ago? It was when Jamestown was just being settled. Remember Jamestown, the first colony? You don't remember? A, <laughs> I don't... We, we really don't have any connection. I mean, it's like ancient history. Think of it had been that long since God had done something Visible, unique, a revelation or a prophet. It was like unrelated. And then out of that silence comes Jesus Christ. And John records it this way in in the book of John. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And the Word here is speaking of Jesus Christ. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man or woman coming into the, woman, into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Think of it. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me is preferred before Me, for He was before Me. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So John kind of summarizes all that happened in that Old Testament story and all those people that we heard about, all the stories of Moses and Abraham and Joseph and David and Solomon, all those stories, they weave a tapestry that lead up to Christ. John summarizes it in a way that almost skips all that. He says, Jesus was there at the beginning. <laughs> he, was, he was with God. He was God. Everything was created uh, through Him. And then He came. He came. The light of the world came into the darkness. And He's there for whoever receives Him. He, John sums up the whole of human history in three points. He created everything. He came to reveal Himself. And now He's here for all who receive. And that's the New Testament. Okay? That comes out. The New Testament story that we're going to be talking about over the course of the next few weeks. But it's also our story because that's where we are now. And the intersecting point, the point that, that, that they intersect together is on the cross and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in the past led up. It was the promise of the coming Messiah who was Christ Jesus the Lord. And now we're living out uh, His mission and His identity. Uh, he didn't come just to live and to teach. He actually came to die. I'm going to quickly read through a large portion of Scripture. Please pay attention. If it helps, close your eyes just to listen. Normally I don't read this much, but it's the story. And it's the proclamation of this story that's changed the world and has the power to change the lives of anyone who receives it. This is from Matthew 27, verse 45 to the end. It says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour there was darkness. Jesus had already been arrested and wrongly convicted and nailed to the cross. So He's hanging there on the cross dying. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, the man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, 
filled it with sour wine and put it on the reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the slain who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Hmm. So when the centurion and those who were with Him, uh, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to Him were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary, sitting opposite to the tomb. On the next day, which follows the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember, while he was still alive, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so that the last deception would be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now, after the Sabbath, on the first day of the week, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go, quickly, and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And indeed, He is going before you into Jerusalem. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you so. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring His disciples' word. As they went to tell His disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Joyce! <laughs> Rejoice! And they came and held Him by the feet and worshipped Him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go, tell My brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see Me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests, all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled 
with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed them. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so there's this story of the resurrection, but it's not disconnected from the Great Commission. It's connected. It's one and the same. It's a story that we celebrate today. And we have a video clip of a, uh, a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright explaining the significance of the resurrection.
scripture says you've got to go out and announce repentance and forgiveness of sins. And for us, that is often in the Western tradition, just means I have to repent of my sins and I will be forgiven by God. But actually, it's much bigger than that. It's a message rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, which says that new starts are possible, that whole communities and nations and peoples can look at the direction they've been traveling in and say, wait a minute, we're going in exactly the wrong direction. We need to turn around and go in the other direction. And that when that happens, then God, almost with a divine sigh of relief, says, I'm going to release you from the past, from all that enslaves and shackles you, not only individually, but as communities. God knows the Middle East needs that right now. The message of repentance and forgiveness flows directly out of the message of resurrection, because it is all about God saying, this is the time when new creation is starting. You can leave the old behind and follow Jesus into the new life that he has prepared for all who will take him seriously. Amen. This is the time. This is the time. Now is the time. And this, this, what we're saying here, and, and, what, and to you right, you're saying what I'm trying to communicate, is not that, you know, it's, it's true that, you know, if we die, we go be with the Lord, and there will be a day where He will return with all of His, and we will live and reign with Christ forever. We're not diminishing the reality of our eternal resting place in Christ and and the kingdom to come, but the message of the resurrection isn't just about that. It's actually about something that happens now. Alright? It's about something that we are to experience now. The resurrection declared Jesus' victory not sometime in the future, but in the immediate present now. That's what it meant. And so I love how the, uh, N.T. Wright says that Jesus is alive again. The resurrection is not about Jesus is alive again so that He's gone to heaven and one day we'll go and be with Him. That's precisely what it's not about. Rather, the resurrection is really about new creation has begun and we are a part of recreating the whole world. Alright? We really are. That the resurrection is about bringing heaven and earth together into one. That's what he said. An Anglican bishop, somewhere in the UK, I don't know where. Anglican bishop saying the whole point of it is bringing heaven and earth together into one. And some of you may be familiar with another teacher called Bill Johnson, who on the scale in the church uh, um, uh, leadership, if you would, I mean, you'd have N.T. Wright on one point, uh, a scholar in the Anglican traditional church, and Bill Johnson, a Pentecostal pastor from California, <laughs> All right. It just happens to be uh, uh, leading a revival where uh, that's that's gone worldwide, and he's preaching heaven invading earth. He's saying the exact same thing. That in and of itself is a miracle almost beyond comprehension. All right, <laughs> Pentecostal preacher and Anglican bishop having as uh, uh, central to their teaching the same idea that heaven and earth. Our, our one, our, our God's intention in the resurrection is to bring the power and the, and the truth and reality and the life of heaven into earth today, not just someday in the future. And so he continues, just another quote from the video, the message of Easter today is not that we'll be all right by and by, 
but that the living God can come right into the middle of the situations of sorrow and distress and can transform them right now and turn them around. All right? This is the time when new creation starts in the resurrection and the encounter of Jesus in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of defeat, in the midst of confusion. The New Testament disciples, they didn't know what was going on. The Mary, the two Marys, they didn't know what was going on. They were just sad Jesus died. They didn't know what was going to happen next. And Jesus comes into the middle of that and says, Rejoice! I, I, I won! It's going to be all right. Everything. And the same thing. See, this is the connection point. And I, and I hope to make this really clear that this is where the stories from the Old and even the stories of the New Testament and the, the disciples and, and the book of Acts and the epistles and how it all works together. And our story, they all connect into one. All right? This is where your story becomes part of the story of human history if you will, if you will receive Him, if you will accept Christ as Lord. Your story intersects with Christ's story and it becomes one. And it goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the promise that God made Adam and Eve, all the way back to the promise that God made Abraham. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Where the first Adam failed by sinning, and sin entered the world and has resulted in brokenness. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is called the second Adam. He gets it right. He brings redemption. And when you accept the relationship that's offered with Jesus Christ, when you accept Him as Lord and Savior, when you believe it to be true, you move from the lineage of the first Adam that is marked by sin and failure and death into the lineage, you're adopted into Christ's family. Alright? That's, that's defined by victory over death, freedom from sin, freedom from the enemy. Is that good news? Alright? That's where, that's how you connect to this big story of all of creation. And that's the Bible's, the resurrection itself is like the hinge point of all of human history. It's the purpose of creation. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 Paul says it this way it says he Jesus has rescued or God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us or translated us um, into the kingdom of his dear son Jesus Christ who purchased our freedom with his blood and forgave our sins so you have the opportunity not only do you have the opportunity personally but I don't know if you caught it how many times the word go was in that Easter story? Go, go, go. The final thing Jesus says to His disciples is go tell this to the whole world. Tell what? Tell that repentance and forgiveness is available and that your life can change. And the life of families can change. Regardless of the situation of your family. Regardless of the situation of a community, even a nation, even a generation. This message has the power to transform it. It's done it countless times. It will continue to do it until Christ comes back and settles it once and for all. Paul says it again in 2 Corinthians. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And just as Jesus rose from the dead, when we enter into relationship with Jesus, we become new. Right? We become part of the new creation that from that point out begins to affect all of what? The universe. Everything. History. The future. It all starts. It's not like we're waiting for the beginning, folks. We're smack dab in the middle of the recreation. And you're called to be an active participant in it. Alright? To have your life transformed, but also to be an agent of transformation. Let me finish with this. We all know part of the, hopefully you know, familiar enough with the New Testament story, there were a couple of disciples that Jesus had. One, one's name was Peter. One's name was Judas. Right? How many times did Peter betray Jesus? Three times. How many times did Judas betray Jesus? Oh, just one. Do you know they both repented? The Bible says that Peter went out when he realized after the rooster crowed and the message says he cried and he cried and he cried or he whipped bitterly. We read about Judas when he realized that Jesus was condemned to death that he had betrayed an innocent man. He says he was sorry. He was sorrowful. To the point where he went back to the priest and said, I have sinned. He confessed his sin. And he threw back the money. I don't want the money. And they said, that's your problem, not ours. Overcome in anguish, he went out and hung himself. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? The difference is Peter waited for the resurrection. What this tells me is that it it really doesn't matter how bad of a sin you've done. Okay? No matter what you've done, you can't make up for that sin. The only thing that can really change is the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. Peter just waited. And what happened was the next morning he woke up and he heard that the tomb was empty. And he ran and he saw it was empty. And then he heard the voice of Jesus calling him back into life. And, the, and, and then he was called into relationship and, and set into the direction of fulfilling the kingdom of God. But Jesus, Judas didn't wait. He, over, he got overcome. He allowed his grief, his misery, his sorrow. And he gave in and he gave up. And he didn't wait for the resurrection. And in one sense, I tell this story just to, to let you know that that's where each and every one of us are. When we're overcome with misery or confused and we don't know what's going to happen, sometimes we have to wait and listen and look for Jesus to show up. He's the risen One and He can redeem you and I and this whole world from sin and Satan and sickness. Amen? Amen. All right. There you go. That's Easter. That's what it's all about. Thank you, Pastor Cameron. That was really good. Um, He is making all things new and we get to be a part of it. And that's just really exciting to me.